Higher gas prices have a lot of people thinking about going green. According to Edmund, searches on its website for information about hybrids, plug-ins, and total electric have surged 39% in the past month. Edmonds estimates that 2.5% of all vehicle purchases last year were battery electric vehicles, and that number is expected to grow this year. I'm Herb Weisbaum, the Consumer Man, a contributing editor at Checkbook.org. Welcome to Consumerpedia at Checkbook.org. We're the nonprofit that helps consumers select services, avoid trouble, and save money. Because we don't accept any advertising or take money from any business we recommend, you can rely on Checkbook.org to be completely independent and objective. Now, here's the host of Consumerpedia, America's consumer expert, the consumer man, Herb Weisbaum. In this episode of Consumerpedia, we'll look at where things stand right now, what's coming down the road, and some things you need to consider if you're thinking about a green vehicle. Let's start things off with a man who lives cars, drives cars, and reports on cars, Paul Eisenstein, a good friend and publisher and editor-in-chief of the DetroitBureau.com. Paul, thank you for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure to be with you, Herb. So as you know, a lot of interest in electric vehicles right now, especially with what's happening with gasoline prices, automakers around the world are already banking on growing demand in the years ahead. What kind of things can we expect coming down the road? Well, you can expect to see a lot more EVs going forward. I did a story for the DetroitBureau.com oh, back in September at the end of the 2021 model year, and I estimated there were about 15 of what you'd call long-range battery electric vehicles, more than 200 miles per charge on the road at that point. By the end of the calendar year, okay, so that's a 15-month gap, you should see anywhere between 55 and even 60 all-electric models on the road. And if anything, it's going to accelerate in 2023. So some electric vehicles are based on existing gas-powered models like the Ford F-150. Others are brand new, top to bottom. Any thoughts about how buyers should look at these two different kinds of electric vehicles? Early on, we saw some electric vehicles that basically took an existing platform and tried to squeeze batteries in wherever they could. Uh, the new approach, which Tesla more or less pioneered, uh, you can think of as almost like a skateboard. It's a customized platform. The industry likes to call it architecture. And what you do is you have the batteries and the motors and uh, some of the electronics mounted below your load floor. And then you put a top hat, as they like to call it, the body up above it. Now, one of the advantages to doing that approach is that you've basically taken out most of what you normally would find in the engine compartment so that you can free up space. You can have a much bigger passenger compartment and cargo bay than you would on a traditional vehicle or an EV that used an existing platform. Now, there are some that are sort of hybrids. And you mentioned Ford with the F-150. The F-150 Lightning is a bit of a hybrid. It does have all of the basics below the load floor, which is why you get a this massive compartment up under the hood where the engine used to be. And that thing is so big, why I could probably crawl inside there and have the trunk <laughs> or the frunk closed on me and there would be a, a bit of room in there. And this is, this is one of the things that people really like about EVs is they get a much bigger interior space. A, a Kia EV6, for example, Herb, might be compact from what we call the footprint, the, the exterior dimensions, but then you get inside and it's almost midsize. In some cases, you'll get EVs that are class or two bigger than what you would think because of the size of the body. 
Electric vehicles are still a very small part of the marketplace, but when I see the response to this brand new Ford F-150, I mean, these are people you wouldn't think would want an electric vehicle for how they're going to use these things. That shows me that there really is a, a long-term interest that this has a future. Yeah, there's no question that Tesla was able to excite a lot of people, particularly early adopters and tech-oriented people and, and a number of green-minded buyers by coming up with something that was reasonably competitive with a conventional internal combustion engine vehicle or ICE vehicle, if you prefer. But what's happening is you're seeing more and more manufacturers getting into the segment and offering more and more unique niches. So I was I was blown away when the F-150 made its debut almost a year ago. And it connected with a lot of people that didn't think they'd ever want an EV. Now, uh, Herb, I don't know if you know this, but within the next three years, we're going to probably see somewhere north of 10 all-electric pickup trucks on the market. Wow. We already have the Hummer. Uh-huh. We have the Rivian. I saw one on the street just yesterday. The Ford F-150 Lightning, which, uh, by the way, I'm ordering and I'm waiting for it to come. You have uh, Chevrolet. You have another GMC, a version of the Sierra coming. The Nissan's doing one. Toyota will do at least one. You have other startups like Atlas coming. You may even have a VW. The CEO of VW recently hinted that he is thinking about uh, ordering uh, the development of an electric pickup. So you're going to have lots of vehicles in this interesting space, which is a mix of commercial and heavy-duty application. And of course, a lot of people who are what you might call suburban cowboys. But you're seeing tons of vehicles in every other segment, increasingly from small, affordable vehicles all the way up to ultra cars. You know, you have a few European models coming, uh, including Pin and Farina which will be developing in the neighborhood of 1,200, 1,300, 1,500 horsepower. That's a lot of horses, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, when you look at the Tesla Model S Plaid and the new Lucid Air Dream Performance Edition, that's uh, the top end of this new company's sedan, very much a Model S competitor. They're talking about zero to 60. You ready for this? In two seconds or under. Wow. Here's the interesting thing. EVs, once you start seeing some of the new stuff, you can really put to rest all the things you thought you knew about EVs before. Many of them are getting much longer range. A version of that Lucid Air will get 520 miles per charge, according to the EPA. Tesla makes one that's getting over 400. It's becoming more and more common to get 250 300, 350 miles. And Cadillac, which will be launching its new Lyric uh, right about now, they're just getting ready to begin production. The CEO of that brand has said, going forward, he does not see Caddy bringing out anything that gets less than 400 miles per charge. Now you add better interior space, uh, additional storage space. Most EVs will get frunks. You add quietness and the fact that they are a lot less expensive to operate once you start talking about energy and maintenance. Wow, that's a lot coming down the road. One question before we move forward with electric vehicles. When I bought my last car, and I know I spoke to you, I went with the Camry Hybrid, the Toyota Camry Hybrid. I didn't want a totally gas vehicle. I wasn't ready to commit to electric, so that was the compromise. Is the day of the hybrid, the gas and battery-powered vehicle or battery-powered plug-in hybrids, are they gone? Yes, no, maybe. How's that for an unambiguous answer? I love it. <laughs> it. It is a matter of debate. 
And you still have some manufacturers who believe that various forms of hybrids are going to stick around indefinitely. And, and interestingly enough, that includes Toyota, which of course was the first automaker in the world to bring a hybrid to market, uh, the original Prius. And they, they have a plug-in hybrid or two now, like the Prius Prime and the RAV4 Prime. The CEO of that company, Akio Toyota, believes that there will be a long-term market for hybrids and plug-ins. And, and there are some other manufacturers who will agree with him. Part of it depends on the development of battery technology. Will they be getting better, less expensive? Will, in fact, regulators allow us to continue having gas-powered vehicles, whether they're pure gas, hybrid, or plug-in, on the market? So that's why I say it's a real ambiguous situation. And the reality is, at least for the time being, one has to argue that there are benefits for some buyers to go ahead with some form of hybrid or plug-in hybrid. And I can, if you'd like, we can talk about uh, about the whys. Yeah, I would assume it would also help the economic transition from one type of fuel to another also. Yeah, well, there are a couple of different things going on here. If you don't drive very many miles a year, you know, if you're driving less than 10,000 miles a year, which is definitely below the average for the U.S., you might find that a regular hybrid or a plug-in might make sense because it's harder to justify the economic savings going to an electric vehicle. You know, an EV typically uh, in the United States costs about a nickel or so per mile to operate, a little bit less if you get one of those reduced rate deals that a lot of utilities offer. But uh, the bottom line is, for those who don't drive very much, uh, a regular hybrid might be perfect. For those who have a mix of driving situations where they might drive 20 or 30 miles a day to and from work and then drive very long distances or are based in a part of the country where they don't have a lot of chargers, well, that may make sense to go to a plug-in hybrid. And the reality is, Herb, whether or not you go to electric today may depend on where you live because the reality is you're seeing more and more chargers, public chargers, popping up around the country, and it's going to accelerate very quickly. President Biden just got several billion dollars to help fund the rollout of chargers. But if you live in places like, uh, well, Iowa, Kansas, the Dakotas, Wyoming, some parts of the South, and you drive long distances, you may find it difficult to operate with a pure electric vehicle. You just may occasionally need to charge away from home and might find it difficult. People need to realize that the great thing about an electric is you will probably be charging at home most of the time if you have a home where you can put in a charger. They aren't that expensive. Uh, it does cost a little bit to buy the charger and get it wired up. But today, 80% of the people that have an electric vehicle charge at home, and that's expected to remain the case going forward. So uh, that's a real advantage because every morning when you come out and start up your car, well, you're going to be driving with the full the equivalent of a full tank of gas and another factor is how you're driving the premium for a total electric vehicle would have been uh, something i would have taken but it, i wouldn't take advantage of it so that's that's a factor also yeah i know people that have plug-in hybrids that can go two or three months 
between filling up their tanks because they drive relatively little every day. And some of the new plug-in hybrids are getting 50, 60, even 70 miles on a charge. For them, for those people, day-to-day driving, they're driving electric, but they don't have to worry when they do a long-distance trip. Now, there is a downside to particularly a plug-in hybrid. It means basically your vehicle has two completely different drivetrains on board. That does cost more. The battery pack is smaller, so you save there, but you still have two separate drivetrains and you have to deal with maintenance. One of the great things about an electric vehicle is a lot of maintenance goes away. The reality is you don't have to do oil changes. You don't have to change filters. You don't have to get a tune-up and a lot of other things. So you can save over a five-year period. Typical ownership is five to seven years. You'll save a lot of money on an EV, not just on energy, but also on maintenance. We're talking to Paul Eisenstein. He is the publisher of the DetroitBureau.com. If you haven't been on the site, I encourage you to check it out. Lots of great articles. When we come back, we're going to talk about a few more things dealing with the cost and the maintenance of electric vehicles and also ask Paul for some of his picks of models you might want to consider. You're listening to Consumerpedia, powered by Checkbook.org. Checkbook has evaluations and ratings for car dealerships, auto mechanics, body shops, and tire stores in these seven metro areas. Boston, Chicago, Philadelphia, Seattle, San Francisco, Minneapolis-St. Paul, and Washington, D.C. Our advice is always free. Ratings of local services are available with a subscription. If you live in one of these seven areas and haven't joined Checkbook yet, check us out. Get a free 30-day subscription by going to checkbook.org slash consumerpedia. Our guest is Paul Eisenstein, the publisher of the DetroitBureau.com. Paul, when it comes to buying an electric vehicle, as you mentioned earlier, they're more pricey. The latest survey from Edmunds.com says the average price for a new vehicle, including EVs, was $45,600 in February, and the average price for a new EV was significantly higher, about $60,000. And of course, there are some tax benefits that really brings that down. The payback period is a couple of years, probably. But how long until we see the sticker price come down or we have lower end model EVs? EVs. That gap, which sounds like it's about $14,000 more, is a little misleading because the reality is you have most of your EVs in mid to upper price segments. Uh, Mercedes with the new EQS at $100-something thousand dollars. Tesla with the Model S, over $100,000. You're starting to see more EVs come into the forty dollars to $45,000 range. Mary Barr, the CEO of General Motors, recently confirmed that they're going to be launching an EV version of the very familiar Chevrolet Equinox, and that's going to start at under $30,000 with, I'm expecting, somewhere in the 200 to 250-mile range. So uh, the prices are beginning to come down. You're starting to get more entry-level, or at least uh, in today's market, affordable vehicles. And the interesting thing is that gas vehicles are going up very quickly because they have to meet tough new emission and mileage standards. So what's likely to happen, the general consensus is that you'll see parity, where an apples-to-apples comparison, uh, say a a Volkswagen ID4 versus a Volkswagen Tiguan, the gas-powered version, those vehicles will likely start coming in at about the same price by about 25, 2026. In the meantime, there are more affordable models starting to come out. You'll see that Equinox in a year or so. The Volkswagen ID4 is not an especially high penalty. It's in the $40,000 range, but there's going to be a, a less expensive model coming next year. And there's a lot of good 
products coming on the market right now. The ones that are getting buzz, of course, Tesla with the Model 3 and the Model Y, those are, they're sort of affordable models, though they can push up to sixty and $70,000. Volkswagen with the ID4, they have a reasonably priced one that's rear drive and a little more expensive all-wheel drive. Kia, the EV6, just a knockout vehicle. Hyundai has the Ionic 5, which is great. The first automaker to challenge Tesla get into the top four sellers was Ford, which has the Mustang Mach-E, and they have several different versions of it. A relatively affordable rear drive model, uh, all the way up to the high-performance GT. So there's a lot more product, and it will continue to increase literally by the month. We talked about the expansion of charging stations. I don't have a clue. What was the cost to have a fill-up, so to speak, if I'm driving uh, from here in Seattle to see you in Detroit and, and I want to charge along the way? What would I pay for a fill-up, you know? Yeah, you will pay more than you would at home by quite a bit. The average rate for electricity in the United States is just over 14 cents per kilowatt hour. And if you're lucky, if, you, if you're if you smart when you put it in your charger, you may be able to get a rate that'll save you several cents a kilowatt hour by turning to your utility and seeing if they have a discount rate. Usually uh, allows you to charge overnight uh, and save a bit. If you're going to one of those public chargers, they are higher, usually at least twice as much. That might be as much as 30 to 32 cents a kilowatt hour. That's often based on how fast the charger operates. In other words, how much power it puts out. But you know, if you wanna get a charge in 20 to 30 minutes, uh, you're willing to put in the premium. The reality is at $4 a gallon gasoline, that public charger is still a bargain. Paul, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us today. Paul Eisenstein is the publisher of the DetroitBureau.com. I'm always amazed with the amount of information that's in your brain when it comes to automobiles, and a lot of that is shared on the website. Again, if you're into cars, the DetroitBureau.com is the place to go. Listen, when you get the brand new Ford F50, the electric model, you're going to have to invite me out to Detroit, and we'll take a ride somewhere. You got an invitation anytime. Uh, heck, if you were out here now, you'd be able to enjoy what I'm driving at the moment, which is a new Corvette. Tough job. Paul, thank you so much. Great to be with you, Herb. So are electric vehicles reliable, and should you dive in right now or wait a bit? Straight ahead, we'll talk to an expert at Consumer Reports Autos about that. This is Consumerpedia, powered by Checkbook.org. Consumerpedia Fast Facts. Electric vehicles have been around a long time. The first crude electric car was developed by Robert Anderson back in 1832. According to AAA, nearly all of the drivers who own an EV, 96%, would buy or lease another one. And while many people don't go electric because they worry there are not enough places to charge, AAA found that 95% of EV owners have never run out of a charge while driving. No one knows more about cars than the folks at Consumer Reports Autos. And joining us now is Mike Monticello. He's the manager of road tests and road reviews at Consumer Reports. Mike, thanks for being with us. Hi, thanks for having me, Herb. So electric vehicles come in three different flavors. There's total electric, there's plug-in hybrid, and the gasoline electric hybrid. And because the first two are so much different than owning a typical gasoline model, you need to understand how they work and how they might fit into your lifestyle. Could you just quickly go over the three choices people have? Traditional hybrids have been around for you know more than 20 years and they drive pretty similar to regular cars and you don't have to plug them in. You put gas in just like you would in any other car at a gas station. But when you start talking about a plug-in electric hybrid, it 
operates similarly to a regular hybrid in that it uses both you know electric power and the gas engine but you can plug it in because it has a larger battery pack so that you can drive anywhere from 20 to 40 miles on just purely electric power which you can't do with a regular hybrid and so that makes it more efficient the plug-in hybrid is really a nice bridge between the traditional hybrid that you never plug in and a full battery electric vehicle and when we talk about full battery electric vehicles now there's no gas engine to help you out if you run out of electric power you have to plug those in they take a little while to charge you know, for most people charging at home, they're going to be able to charge them overnight, you know, eight to 10 hours, depending on the battery size. But when you're on a trip, you're going to have to do a little more planning. You know, it's not like there's charging stations all over the place like gas stations. You're going to want to find a place that has DC fast charging uh, so that you can get a reasonable amount of uh, recharging done in 30 to 60 minutes so that you're not taking huge chunks of time on your trip. They drive very different than a, a regular car because the way a battery electric vehicle works, it, it gives you all of the torque that's available immediately when you press on the accelerator pedal which can be fun. It can be fun to get all that power at once. There's only minimal, usually electric motor whine. You don't have all the powertrain noises that comes with internal combustion engine vehicle. And so there's some real upsides to going with an electric vehicle. Now, a lot of electric power vehicles are fairly new or brand new, and you guys usually advise us not to buy new models to wait a year or two <laughs> to let the automakers work out the bugs. What about in this case? Yeah, I mean, that is true. That's absolutely true. That is something that we typically say because most of the ones coming and there's like, you know, close to 40 all new electric vehicles coming over the next two years. Since most of them are based on an all new platform. Yeah, we would typically say you want to wait a year you know, for that brand new model to come out, let the automakers work out some of those bugs that typically happen with new vehicles. And it's not necessarily even related to the electric powertrain. It, it might be just maybe they put a new infotainment system in or they put different controls in and stuff like that. Anytime you bring in a whole bunch of new parts, you're, you're asking for some potential reliability issues. So we would still say, wait a year if you can. And actually, this isn't a great time to buy a, a new car anyway, because the EV market is still so new, it's burgeoning. There's going to be all these new models coming. This actually would be the time to wait and not buy an electric vehicle because you're going to have limited supply, limited options. You're likely going to have to pay well over MSRP, just about any vehicle right now, you're going to have to pay over MSRP. And you're not going to have the options that you will have in, say, a year or two. And initially, the electric vehicles, a lot of them were pretty expensive. Well, there's cheaper ones coming. And so you're going to have more options to get a more affordable EV down the road. A couple of quick questions about batteries. We know cold weather affects batteries. How does the cold reduce the performance of an EV? Yeah, it absolutely does. And extremely cold weather and extremely hot weather definitely affects the driving range of EVs. But, you know, they're working on that. I think that's something that we hopefully will see down the road get a little bit better. We've heard about battery fires, lithium-ion batteries, and all kinds of different appliances. Should I be concerned about battery fires if I buy an EV? I don't think so. I don't think it's something people really need to be concerned about. Look, I'm not trying to downplay the risk because it definitely is a risk, but for the most part, it should be okay. And I, I don't think that's something people should worry about. So let's get down to the bottom line. Clearly, an EV costs more upfront right now, but are there other factors that people should be considering that will bring that price down and make it look more affordable? Yeah, there's uh, the federal tax incentive for one thing. There's state tax incentives. 
there's the fact that it costs less typically to plug in and charge a vehicle than it does to, to pay for gas, especially right now with how expensive gas prices are. We have uh, an electric vehicle savings finder. And if you go on consumerreports.org, all you have to do with this savings finder is punch in your zip code, your make model year of the new EV that you're thinking about buying. And then it'll then tell you what federal and state tax incentives are available to you. So there's a lot out there if you look for it. And you can totally bring the cost of those EVs down to be quite a bit cheaper. And also, Consumer Reports did an analysis based on these higher gas prices. EV owners could save between $1,800 to $2,600 in operating and maintenance costs for every 15,000 miles compared to drivers of gas-powered vehicles. So there's some real savings to be had there. Any one thing you want folks to know about electric vehicles? You guys live and drive with these all the time. Something you just want to share with us before we let you go? They're very, very different. They can be quite fun to drive in terms of just how quick they are off the line. With more and more coming out and with longer driving ranges, it's going to be less of that range anxiety that people are worried about. It looks like it's definitely the wave of the future. Mike Monticello is a manager of road tests and road reviews at Consumer Reports. Thank you for spending time with us today, Mike. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, I think we've run out of gas, so that's it for this episode of Consumerpedia. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to us on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss any episodes. Another way you can support this show is to follow us at Consumerpedia on Facebook and Instagram or at MyConsumerpedia on Twitter. I'm Herb Weisbaum. Thank you for listening. Consumerpedia is a public service of Checkbook.org. We're a unique nonprofit that empowers you, the consumer, to save money and make smarter choices. From auto repair shops to doctors, plumbers to vets, you can count on Checkbook.org to help you find the best services and avoid the worst. Local ratings are unbiased and accurate. If you live in or around these seven cities and haven't joined Checkbook yet, check us out. Boston, Chicago, Philadelphia, Seattle, San Francisco, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Washington, D.C. To get your free 30-day subscription, go to checkbook.org slash consumerpedia. Consumerpedia, empowering consumers to save money and make smarter choices.